Since the very first bedtime, all around the world, children have known that once their mothers and fathers tucked them in and shut off the light, that there are monsters hiding in their closets, waiting to emerge. But what they don't know is, it's nothing personal. It's just their job. Whoa! Ah. Nobody here. Huh? There's, there's no kid. There's supposed right, to be a kid. There's no, no kid to scare. Panic. I'm panicking because well, there's no, a total no, no, lack no, of kids here. Let's just check the schedule. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. Well, let me see. Nine o'clock. Yep, nine o'clock. Boys' bedroom. Boys' bedroom. Out of Magnolia. <sighs> Magnolia. Give me that. It's Mongolia. Mike, does this look like Mongolia to you? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, okay, you remember the fifth grade yeah. when you spent all your time passing notes to Susie Boyles? Loved it. The rest of us were studying geography. This is not Mongolia. Uh, would, would you listen to this? Blame it on the little guy. How original. He must have read the schedule wrong with his one eye. Right, come on. Uh, don't take it personal. You were thinking come on, that. Don't you were be so that. sensitive. Uh, come on, buddy. Little Blinky. Don't, don't your buddy? do that. Who's your I'm buddy? resisting you. Come on. Don't make me come like on. you. Don't, I don't want to like on, you now. All right. <laughs> hey, guess which planet I am? Huh? Come on, look. Guess which planet I am. Okay, I'm going to go back to the break room before all the donuts are done. Hey, th- don't you even get it, you big throw rug? Oh, nice doggy. <laughs> nice big doggy. Sully, Sully, open the door. Open the door. Starting Monsters University and Monsters Incorporated today. My son, Walt, who's 14 years old, this was his very first movie he saw at the movie theater on the big screen. And I remember kind of opening up and, and, and as the credits are going and going, I think this may have been a bad idea. Because it can be a little scary. In fact, here is the opening scene of this movie that sets up the entire monster world. Y'all watch this. Good night, sweetheart. Good night,
Simulation terminated. Simulation terminated. Simulation terminated. Simulation terminated. Simulation terminated. All right, Mr. Bile, is it? Uh, my friends call me Flem. Uh-huh. Mr. Bile, can you tell me what you did wrong? I fell down? No, no, before that. Can anyone tell me Mr. Bile's big mistake? Anyone? <coughs> Let's take a look at the tape. Here we go. Uh, right. There. See? The door. You left it wide open. And leaving the door open is the worst mistake any employee can make because... Um, it could let in a draft? It could let in a child. Oh, Mr. Waternews. There's nothing more toxic or deadly than a human child. A single touch could kill you. Leave a door open and a child could walk right into this factory, right into the monster world. I won't go in a kid's room. You can't make me. <laughs> You're going in there because we need this. <laughs> Our city is counting on you to collect those children's screams. Without scream, we have no power. Yes, it's dangerous work, and that's why I need you to be at your best. I need scarers who are confident, tenacious, tough, intimidating. What's so funny about Monsters Incorporated is that the entire premise of this movie is that the monster's job is to go in and to scare children. That there are two distinct worlds. There's the monster world where everything's kind of in a, turned on its head and everything's kind of scary. And you get all these furry, weird monsters. But then you also have the human world. And through this doorway they're able to walk through, they can go. And the monster's job is to go and to make kids scream. And if they scream, um, that actually fuels the monster world. And they can actually collect these screams in these scream canisters. Now, again, as I was watching and watching some of the clips, and especially with my four-year-old son that I took for the movies for the first time, just seeing this big screen and all of these kind of scary things, I'm thinking, wow, I hope he doesn't, um, I hope he doesn't get like, too scared because if he does, I'm going to hear about it from mom and I'm going to be up all night soothing this kid, right? But he didn't and everything was fine. Now, here's what's so thing about this. I, I love this entire movie because it kind of starts off scary, but then it gets funny and, and you realize at the end of the movie, there's nothing to be afraid of. The monsters are more afraid of the humans. And of course, the humans are afraid of the monsters. But here you see Boo, who's really not afraid of anyone. And I love this movie because it's all based around this idea of fear. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at Monsters Incorporated. Let me ask you a couple of questions before we dig into the text. What are you afraid of? What is kind of like your casual thing that you're afraid of? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what is one of your fears. All right, do that now. Let's let's hear. How many of y'all raise your hands if you're afraid of spiders? Wow. 
All right, absolutely, okay. How many of you, you said you were afraid of snakes? Anyone? All right, cool. How many of y'all, you're afraid of clowns? All right, cool. All right. Uh, Somebody else, name me one of your fears. Your wife. Hey, you better not go home. I'm just telling you. So you might want to hang out at my house tonight. I'm just telling you. Somebody else. Pastors? Yeah, you don't need to come home with me either, Mr. Tom Henry. What? Heights? Bridges? All right, very good. Anyone else? Needles. I'm with you. No one likes any needles, all right? Um, I'll tell you, then let me ask you another question and don't answer this out loud because all of us, we have phobias, we have fears, fears of our wife, <laughs> fears of needles, fear of pastors, though I, you and I need to talk, um, <laughs> and my mama, all right, yeah, if you knew my mama, you might be afraid of her too, so just saying, she's actually a very beautiful woman, love you. Anyway. What is the greatest fear you've ever had? Don't, don't say it out loud. What is the greatest fear that you have? Think about that. What are you really afraid of? I know, again, I know we have the normal fears, snakes, heights, and all that stuff. But what is it, when you really think about it, has paralyzed you or can paralyze you in fear? Maybe it's fear of losing a child. Maybe it's the fear of being alone. Maybe it's the fear of a broken marriage. Um, Maybe it's the fear of not being able to provide for your family. But what is your greatest fear? Now, let me ask another question. What would you attempt to do if you were not afraid? Let that sit for just a sec. What would you attempt to do if you were not afraid? What venture would you run after if you knew you would not fail? You see, I believe that God has some amazing things for us, promise for us, but in order for, or in order for us to experience God's goodness, we're going to have to face our fears. And the reason why I love this movie is this movie is all about fears and what you get to the other side of your fears. They're really not all that scary. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of Jonathan. And we're going to be able to see Jonathan kind of coming up against his fears. And as you're turning there, you're welcome to go on your uh, smartphone, go to Version, or we give away free Bibles here at One Church. 1 Samuel chapter 14, it's kind of in the beginning of your Bible. Let me give you some context. Because the nation of Israel finally has a king. His name, the very first king that Israel ever had, his name was King Saul. And King Saul was not that great of a king. He really had no heart towards God. But King Saul's son, Jonathan, was a really good dude. And in 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're going to see Jonathan and the type of gestalt that this guy has, the type of heart and personality and attitude that Jonathan had, the king's son. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. I'm actually going to start the last verse of chapter 13, and here's what the Bible says. The pass at Michmash had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. Bum, bum, bum. Right? I mean, the Philistine army is in the the Israelite territory, and they are now guarding a pass, a very important pass, that they cannot get through. They have literally divided the nation of Israel. 
One day, look at this, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines, these are the bad guys, have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Jonathan is not talking about what he's doing. He's just going to go out and do it. How many of y'all know a lot of people who are a lot of talk but no action? All right. Jonathan was the exact opposite. He was very little talk but a whole lot of action. I prefer people like that. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs. And these rocky cliffs were called Bozes and Senna. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Now look at this, I love this verse, verse 6. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Can Can we all say that together? Perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has what? Many warriors or only a, I love that. I mean, I love, we're going to come back to this verse because this verse, verse six is really where we're going to be landing for today. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can hinder the Lord, whether you have a little or a lot. Look at verse seven. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. Man, this is just such a cool story. Because Jonathan didn't let his fears dictate his decisions. His desire to advance the kingdom, so to speak, was greater than his fear of failure. Jonathan was not playing defense here. He was playing what? Offense. He he courageously climbed the cliffs at Michmash. He picked a fight. He picked a fight with a superior force of greater number than him because it's just him and his armor bearer. Now, even if you had public school education, how many does that give us? Two. Exactly right. It's two against an army. All right? I mean, now, here's what I like. I, I usually normally read the New Living Translation. And right above the New Living Translation, there's a caption that says, it's called Jonathan's Daring Plan. This entire section is part of the reason why I love Jonathan's daring plan is because Jonathan makes me feel better about my bad ideas. I mean, think about this. This has to be the worst military strategy ever. I mean, if you read the next few verses, you discover that Jonathan's plan is basically this. Let's expose ourselves to the enemy in broad daylight and let's go up against them because they've got the high ground. And by the way, there's an army and we've got how many? Two. Here are some pictures uh, of the cliffs. I've actually been there. One is called Bozaz. One is called Senna. And here, I don't know if you can see these. Go back if you would. Uh, If these little dots right here, those are people. So they are climbing up these cliffs. And and the Philistine army is, is up there. And you can go to that next picture if you'd like. It's a little bit broader view of it. But these are massive cliffs, and they're in broad daylight, and it's Jonathan and his armor bearer. The dude who's probably carrying Jonathan's shield is going up against the entire Philistine army in broad daylight. Man, that's interesting. And and a lot of this, Jonathan comes up with a sign. Some of you, I mean, have you ever, and I'm going to raise my hand first, have you ever asked God for a sign to do something? I have. All of us, give me a sign, right? Let's look at Jonathan's sign. This is what he says. He says this in verse 10. But if they say, come up 
to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now, okay, I'm sorry, but if I'm going to ask for a sign here, I'm going to ask for the exact opposite. Basically, what he's saying, if God, if you want us to come up with us, when we start climbing up, if they say, come on, boys, then we're going to go. Now, that's just jacked. Let me tell you the type of sign I would ask for. If they came down to us, that'll be our sign. Or even better yet, God, if you let them fall off the cliff, that'll be the sign of letting me go up. But no, Jonathan's plan is far more dangerous and difficult and daring than that. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I read these verses... I don't know, uh, you know, I love watching movies. And, and when I read these verses and um, I think, you know, I don't really see myself as Jonathan. And one of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. And I, I like that movie because, you know, you always, you, you see, um, you see Tom Hanks's character. You see Matt Damon's character. And then you see this guy, his name is Oppum. Anybody remember Oppum? He's the kind of coward at the end who does nothing. And you always wonder, which one would you be in a firefight? You know, when I see myself in these verses, I really don't know. I don't see myself as Jonathan. And let me give you just some illustration in my past to let you know why I'm not Jonathan. About two years ago, two or three years ago, um, we got all of our staff together and we decided to go to Linden, Tennessee, very small town. And one of the things that we do every November is we get together and we planned out the sermon calendar for the entire year. So here at One Church, we believe in team-based ministry, and we ask our elders, we ask our small group leaders, hey, what are some of the things that we need to talk about next year? And we plan out the entire year's worth of sermons, so I know what I'm going to be preaching this December, okay? So it's a three-day meeting. Now, for some of you who don't like meetings, I know you're thinking that is like the third Gehenna, right? So I'm thinking, okay, how are we going to break up these three days of meetings? So I came up with a great idea. Let's play paintball. I never played paintball. I'm like, it's going to be fun. (laughs) So we get our staff together and we brought some other guys, uh, leadership. I I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble when one of the guys that came with us, this army dude says, okay, listen, um, it's shoot, move, and communicate. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? A little bit slower, right? Because I, I don't have an ounce of army in me. I'm like John Candy in stripes, okay? Just call me ox. Uh, and, 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 okay, shoot, move. What was the third? You know, again, so we're all, we got our paintballs, you know, our guns, and we got our mask and all this stuff. And uh, I noticed nobody's wearing shorts. Again, I, I knew there was a problem somewhere. So anyway, so, you know, they blow the little thing and we kind of come up against one another. And I don't, I kind of make a big target, you know, I'm trying to roll and duck and move and, you know, and all this stuff. And I I mean, I was, I got shot and, you know, you kind of get out. I'm like, dang, that hurts, you know? And I'm, you know, so I get down there and now I'm starting to fake getting shot. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) Thank you. Right. I mean, it's like, what in the world? And I remember one of the guys, I got wise. I says, okay, let me tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to cover you. That means I'm going to cower in fear behind this little thing while you go out and get shot, right? So there's a reason why you don't want me in your platoon. I'm just telling you, all right? So anyway, we go through this and I realized that I'm not Jonathan. 
I'm not. And Jonathan, I mean, these are not just fake paintball bullets. or be, I mean, these were real, this is a real conflict here. So I, I, the reason why I, I, I like this verse is, you know what? You know, I don't really see myself in there. Some of you, you don't see yourself in there as well because our fear gets in the way. So here's the million-dollar question as we look at this passage. What motivated Jonathan to climb the cliff? What gave him the courage to go on the offense, and how did he know it was God's will? You know, I think it's impossible to know exactly everybody's thoughts, especially because it's thousands of years ago. But verse 6 really does reveal Jonathan's attitude. Let's look at it again. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Perhaps the Lord will help us. I love that attitude. Now let me state just a personal conviction here. I think what we have lacking in most of our churches today across America is not knowledge. You see, some of you, you're thinking, okay, I'm just kind of a brand new Christian, or maybe you're not even a Christ follower. This is like your first time here. You're kind of like kicking the tires of Christianity. I'm so glad you're here. But many of us, we think, you know what, if I knew more, then I would do more. And let me tell you, that is exactly the opposite. Because many of us, we, keep, we want to keep on learning and learning and learning, but we're already educated beyond our level of obedience. You want to know what I think is the, the biggest thing lacking in most of our churches? And it's the four-letter word, not that one, but the other four-letter word called guts. Guts. Good old-fashioned guts to live a big faith, to climb a cliff, to engage the enemy, and realize that we are involved in something in a matter of life and death, and we are called to live courageously, even dangerously, for the cause of Christ. Now, here's the good news. I don't think in most scenarios, none of us are going to be have our lives on the line when it comes to Christianity. But passivity is not an option. And I think God is calling us to play offense, and this story inspires me to no end. It tells me that the will of God is not an insurance plan, it is a daring plan. In fact, that's our big idea today. The will of God is not an insurance plan, it is a daring plan. You see, many of us, if you've grown up in church, you've heard, you know what, if you, know, if you do things God's way, and if you give your heart and your life to him, you're going to go to heaven, you're not going to go to hell when you die, and that is exactly true. But that is really where our relationship with God begins and ends. We think of something as something for eternity. And yes, it does have an eternal impact, but a relationship with God and the will of God can start and change your life right now. Totally. And it could be a daring thing. God is calling you to a daring plan, not an insurance plan. Let me tell you something. God never calls us to play it safe. God never calls us, nowhere in the Bible does God say, you know what, I just want you to be comfortable. It, you know, if, if, if you just think I'm comfortable, then let me tell you, I can pretty much tell you, you are probably out of the will of God. You show me in the Bible where God called a person, to, you know what, just, just, just sit on this couch. Just stay here. It's just prop your feet up. No, he called Abraham out of his comfort zone to go to a, a place he didn't even know he was going. He called Moses out of his comfort zone to lead a people that didn't even really like him out of Egypt. 
You see all of these different stories in the Bible where God is not calling people to comfort. He's calling them out of comfort, out of complacency. And I think more often than not, God's will, the will of God will involve a daring decision, a difficult decision, and sometimes even a dangerous decision. But let me just say this. If it's God's will, it may be a dangerous decision from your point, from your viewpoint, but from God's standpoint, that is the most secure place you can ever be. I mean, you may, from your perspective, it looks fearful to you. But from God's perspective, he's got this. Man, I love this because you see this in this movie, Monsters Incorporated. I mean, all of us, you, we've, if you've had a kid, if you've grown up as a child, and if you've been around children, you know they're scared of stuff in the dark. They're scared of stuff in, in, the, in the doorways, in the closets, underneath the bed. If you have a teenager, you should be scared from what's underneath that dude's bed. I'm telling you, just saying. Probably stuff growing down there. But you know what? Fear is never rational. It's always irrational. And we know when you're talking to a two-year-old, hey, son, all right, there's nothing to be scared of. We're talking about it rationally for them. But they're not rational. And you know from the outside, there's nothing in the closet. But to a two-year-old, there's something big in there. Let me tell you, it's that same way with God. You know, we get so scared about what's behind the doors of life. And God's going, I got this. I'm your dad. I am your parent, the parent that loves you. I've got this. I love that. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It is a daring plan. And I love this. So what's, what's going to happen is this. Jonathan is going to go on this daring plan, and one daring decision was enough to shift the momentum to create a tipping point. Look what it says in verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth Avon. So who saved the day? I'm sorry, let's say that all one more time. Who saved the day? The Lord saved the day. Now, where's Jonathan in this? Jonathan is doing the Lord's plan. Let me tell you, if you're doing God's plan, number one, he's going to get the glory, and he's got this. He's got this. Let me tell you, can I suggest that the church needs more daring people with daring plans like Jonathan? I like this dude, uh, the 20th century missionary. His name is C.T. Studd. Everybody say Studd. Come on, baby. All right. Here is is a quote of C.T. Studd. Some people want to live within the sound of church or chapel bells. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of the gates of hell. C.T. Studd. You can quote me on this next one. I think our church needs more studs. Right? We need more people with this attitude. Man, we do. When do we start believing that God wants us to to play it safe and have safe places and to do easy things? Where do we get that? It's not from the Bible. I think we make a false assumption about the will of God. I think we assume that it should get easier the longer we follow Christ. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, there are some dimensions that do get easier. Once you, the longer you follow Christ, the more you start reading God's word, it will eventually start becoming natural to you. But let me tell you, there are some parts that get harder, that get more difficult. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit prompts us to sometimes do some really crazy things, like adopt a child or be a foster child to a broken child, or to actually go and to love our enemies, to be able to get involved and dirty with somebody's life. 
Man, I think spiritual growth prepares us for more dangerous missions, to do more daring things for Christ. It shouldn't get less adventurous. It should get more adventurous. But if you ask the average Christian there, wait a minute. I'm sorry, what did you say? I was asleep. We are so comfortable. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, We are so comfortable that it would take almost God with a two-by-four to get us out of our comfort zones. And maybe if you're struggling with some stuff right now, it may be the two before because God is not wanting you to be comfortable. He's not wanting you to just exist. He's wanting you to thrive and live and for your spiritual life to be an adventure, not to be boredom. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. I love that. I mean, we should, our church should be like that. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So we spend, but many of us, that's not our view, is it? We view, we do, perhaps the Lord won't come through. And we spend our entire life at the bottom of the cliff, looking up, and our fears are holding us hostage. I tell you, I wonder if that's the reason why many of us are bored with our faith. The scariest thing in Monsters Incorporated happened. A child has been let loose in the monster world. And through this entire movie, Sully, the dude with the polka dots, the big one, right? He he begins to realize that his biggest fear, his fear of children, really is kind of a silly fear. The kids aren't poisonous. Uh, Kids, uh, their screams are good fuel, but you know what? Their laughter is super fuel. And that's what the entire movie is about. I want to just talk corporately as a, to us as a church just to say this, that perhaps the Lord will, be, uh, will, be, will act on our behalf, that we need to stop playing defense and play offense. Now, let me tell you, let me give you the flip side of this coin, and then I got to end because I'm going long. Um, look what happens. What's happening with Jonathan's dad, Saul? Let's look at this. Verse 2. Jonathan is charging the gates of hell, if you will, up Michmash. And look what Saul the king is doing. Verse 2. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. I mean, what a contrast to Jonathan. I think Saul, uh, what Saul didn't do is just as significant as what Jonathan did do. His son is climbing cliffs and engaging the enemy. Saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree on the outskirts of Gibeah, popping pomegranate seeds in Chalaxin. What's wrong with this picture? Well, the Philistines control the pass, and the leader of the army of Israel, Saul, should have been the one fighting back instead of kicking back. And some of you, you're kicking back, and you need to be fighting back. Some of you are just like, you know what? Somebody can, somebody just... Get me a, a, a glass of sweet tea. And God is going, no, no, no. You go and you charge the gates of hell. But many of us are like Saul. Saul let other people fight his, his battles. He let his son Jonathan. And we're going to see in, in a couple of chapters later, in chapter 17, David is even fighting his battles. And Saul, the king, who stood head and shoulders above everybody else, he's just, just sitting back, sipping on a straw. Some of you, I did that and you thought it was something else, didn't you? Come on now. That's what separates one church from every other church right there. Yes, Sam. You know, as I close today, I I just, I think there's a little bit of Saul in each of us. 
there's a little bit of Saul in each of us. That when we look, at, we, we probably don't see ourselves as Jonathan. We see ourselves as Saul. But you know what? I truly believe that we need to pray like it depends upon God and work like it depends upon you. Some of you, you need to get up and you need to do something. And if you don't do anything, this is so profound, it's not going to happen. Right? Get up and do something. At the end of the day, God is not going to say, well said, my good and faithful servant. He's not even going to say, well thought, my good and faithful servant. He's going to say what? Well done. In order to be done, you got to do something. Right? And some of you, you think the idea of being a good Christian is to sit back for 70 minutes and listen to somebody talk and do a band. And let me tell you, I think that is not the, this is not the essence of Christianity. This is like us getting in a huddle in a football game. Right? When you see everybody getting in a huddle in a football game, you know they're not just going to stay in the huddle forever, right? The whole purpose of getting in the huddle is to do something. It's to go out and take the ball across the touchdown line. And then to go... <laughs> right? I mean, you got to do something. All right, I'm never going to do that again. Just saying... But my point is this, we get so excited about the huddles and then we choose to do nothing about what we learned in the huddle. This is not Christianity. When you leave today, that's Christianity. It's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday at nine o'clock in the morning when you get on your job and you can't stand your boss. And it's Thursday when you go out And it's 5 o'clock somewhere, but the 5 o'clock that you're at, you're actually telling somebody about Jesus Christ. I mean, it's Friday night when everybody else of all your friends may be going out and getting wasted. But you say, you know what? I'm going to be their designated driver. And hopefully, they're going to see from my lifestyle, by what I don't do and what I do, that Jesus is real. That we do something and it's dangerous and it's daring because God's will is not an insurance plan. It is a daring plan. Some of, some of you, you need, the most daring thing you can do is start reading your Bible. I, I, let me tell you, I, I got a Facebook message this past Tuesday at 7 o'clock in the morning from a soldier who's living in South Korea. He's discouraged. He isn't hanging out with Christians. He isn't reading his Bible. And the best way he can play offense, and if you're watching right now, you know who I'm talking about, is to start reading and getting people, getting around people who are reading God's word. Some of you are like, well, that's not very deep. Let me tell you, the the biggest things in life aren't deep. Right? Let me tell you, for others, you, you need to go on the offense and you need to get baptized. I talked to a dear friend two weeks ago. Him and I have known each other for the past year because we're in community group together. And I didn't know where he was at spiritually. I know he wasn't a Christ follower. And before he went to go to South Korea, I said, hey, listen, where are you at spiritually? And he said, you know what? Before I came to one church, I really didn't know anything about the Bible or Jesus or anything like that. But just a couple of months ago, I came down forward and I, and I, I prayed and I asked Jesus to be my savior. So I said, that's awesome. I'm starting to cry. I'm like a girl. I'm like, you know, and, 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 I, and I'm asking him, you know, are you going to get baptized? No. Why not? He says, well, if I get baptized, everybody's going to know that I'm a Christian. And I'm like, I know. That's the point. Baptism is you going public with your faith. 
All right? And then he says this. He says, well, then everybody will know I'm a Christian and I'm not perfect. And I said, I know, you're not. But you can be forgiven. And he says, okay, I'm going to get baptized. Now, my friend, he left last night to go to Korea. He wanted to get baptized today and he couldn't. So we did something very spiritual on Thursday night. We had a pool party. Look at his story. Watch this. I'm an Scotty, and this is my story. Started coming to one church Easter Sunday, 2012, with my wife. I was deployed to Afghanistan when she found one church for the first time. Ever since I got back and I was dealing with some issues from the deployment being my first time, uh, I came to one church and they greeted me with open arms and always had the answers for me. I'm now on a flight to Korea for a year without my wife, and I just wanted to be able to publicly announce that I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I would like to thank a couple people in general who have helped me with my walk with God. Chris and Kim Edmondson, Dave Thompson, Jake Luna, my entire small group, and my especially my wife, Nikki, for, for never giving up on me. How's that? That was pretty good, actually. Better? It was better. All right. It's good. That's it. What? That's it. No. I'm going to do one more take. Oh, come on. No, listen. All if, right. If this next... Some of you in here, you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've not taken that step to get baptized. My question I'm going to ask you like I asked Scotty is why not? I mean, that's, that's what God has called us to do. It's so that everybody will know that you're going public. So why not? I mean, I, it's just, I, I, I'm, why not? You know, for others of you, the how you can play offense and, and, and stop playing defense is you can actually go and, again, you can start reading your Bible, you can get baptized, you can, tell, you can tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. And I know it's scary, but I'm telling you, it God will use you. He will use you. That's what God's Word says. He will use you, and you're going to be able to see people just changed all around you. And let me tell you, even if nothing's changing inside of you, God will change you. You will start getting excited. It's impossible not to. For others of you, some of you, the best way you can go on offense is just to start giving. You know, and I know you say, well, if, if I give more, then I'm going to have less. No, no, no. You don't seem to understand. God can do more with your 90% than you ever could with your 100%. Last week, we did our, like, test the tithe challenge. And uh, my wife and I, we tithed over and above we did an extra week's worth of, of giving, and we didn't, we're trying to, you know, how is this going to work? Let me just tell you, how, I don't know how it works for you. I'm going to tell you how it worked for me. Um, uh, so anyway, we, we kind of go through the rest of the week. My wife goes to, a, um, to go get, a, to pay a bill at an optometrist, all right? By the way, we don't have any type of, like, eye coverage or anything. So we go, and we go, and we get the, my wife is getting glasses, and she's going to pay on them, and uh, she's, and the lady taking her money, says, uh, you don't owe us anything. 
well, I, it says right here, well, no, your, your insurance picked it up. <laughs> how, how often does that happen? <laughs> Never, right? <laughs> Let me tell you, it was for the exact amount that my wife wrote the check for. And I'm not saying it happens that way all the time. I'm just telling you that happened in our life this past week. I'm telling you, God, you, 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 want, a God, you want God to do something with your finances and your world, you got to start trusting him. Go on a mission trip. We got a bunch of our adults and youth going to be going to Puerto Rico in a couple of weeks. Come on now, shout out, just saying. All right, God's going to use them. This is so cool. Our youth just got back from Mission Fuge and Exfuge. And, and, and I remember Joel told me this. One of the guys, um, we, we were going to like a camp at, at a beach somewhere before. And everybody was, when we told them we weren't going to go to that camp, everybody was just like, how dare you? We want to go to the beach and play volleyball, right? I mean, it's just fun. Well, this is what's so cool. One of the most outspoken guys uh, of, of not going back to that beach and doing this new thing. He actually came to Mission Fuge, and the first day when he's hanging out with all these poor kids who know have nothing, at church group devotions that night, he, this person said this, I would take the one day I spent here, the entire week on the beach, just doing this. Let me tell you, that is, that's living life on the edge. That's living God's will as a daring plan, not an insurance plan. Let me tell you, as I say this, dads, how you can go and play offense is to actually pray with your kids at night. Some of you, you would storm the gates of uh, uh, Bagram with no, I mean, you're not worried about that. But praying with your children and your knees go like this. Or open up the Bible, but do that. It's not your wife's responsibility to teach them about the Bible. It's yours. So do that and just do it regularly and do it in little small chunks. But that's playing offense. So as I close, the band's going to come out now. I'm, I'm just going to, I want to read you a story. Um, and it, this it takes literally 30 seconds, so just hang out for a sec. But um, Henry James once wrote a story entitled The Madonna of the Future. It was a story about an artist who devoted her entire life to a single painting. And when the artist died, it was discovered that the canvas was still blank. She never finished because she never started. So let me ask you your question. What is your unpainted canvas? What is the thing that God is calling you to do that you've not done because you're afraid? Is God bigger than your fear? Is God bigger than your fear? Yes, he is. So don't get at the end of your life having devoted your dreams to an empty canvas because you've never started what God has called you to start. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, that we love you. And Lord, even more importantly, God, you love us. Your word says so clearly, God, that when we were at our worst, you were at your best. God, I, I pray for the people here today that you would get us out of our comfort zone. That you would allow us to be on the daring front edge of the plan that you have called us 
to be and to become. Because we're your children and you're our God and you have enough hope, faith, strength, knowledge. God, you are all the omnis. You are all of the extras. You are everything, God. And Lord, we put our faith and trust in you. For some of you, if you just need to spend some time in prayer with God this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to end close with this song, and we're going to ask you to just come forward and just kneel at the front. No one's going to be here. Nobody's going to bother you. But if you need to spend some time working on that relationship with God right now, now is the time. Now is the time because he loves us so extravagantly. He gave us his one and only son, Jesus, that if we believe in him, we will not perish, but have everlasting life.